0: Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are going to be hearing a personal story from Misha Shockley. She is going to be talking with us about her experience with severe preeclampsia that led to the premature birth of her daughter. We do touch on some sensitive topics in this episode, so if you feel like you're in the process of going through something like this or still healing from this, just be aware that we do touch on some difficult topics. Misha is the owner and executive director of Shore Grace a family wellness center providing wraparound services to support families on the eastern shore of Maryland and on their journey of welcoming a new baby. Misha is a doula, speaker, and coach with specialty in maternal mental health for women of color, high-risk pregnancies, prematurity, and preeclampsia awareness. She holds a BA in rehab counseling and is currently pursuing her master's in marriage and family counseling with specialty in sex education. Misha's going to share her story with us and also how that led her to opening her own center. I'm really happy to share with you this rich discussion. So let's meet Misha. Welcome, Misha. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Dr. Kat. Thank you so much for reaching out and wanting to come on. I am excited to share about the work that you do and grateful that you are willing to share some of your story as well. Yes. Um, yeah. So go ahead and start wherever you'd like with your personal story. Yeah. And we'll talk about your work.
1: So a little after college, I had took on a full-time case management job working with the mental health community. And during my time with that job, I remember getting some moms through my caseload. And I remember working with them and kind of thinking to myself, these moms don't need to be in this program. It sounds like they just need support. Half of the time when I would do home visits with them, we would spend time like chatting or looking up baby things, answering baby questions. She was three at the time. I had my oldest daughter. And so we would kind of just connect over motherhood pretty much. And then things kind of took a turn. When I was 24 weeks pregnant with our second daughter, I didn't know that we were having a daughter. We were actually not going to find out the sex. I came home from work with a headache. I had actually left work early that day, and I remember showing my legs to a coworker of mine, and I couldn't get my feet out of my boots. I, oh. And I remember telling her I was like, you know, I don't remember swelling and gaining this much weight with my first pregnancy, but every pregnancy is so different. So, I kind of just wrote it off and it was about a week that I wasn't feeling well where I had headaches. Mm-hmm. My vision was a little blurry. I kind of just kept writing it off to part of being a mobile case manager is I'm in the car a lot. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm not moving around. I'm sitting, I'm driving so much. And I just wrote it off to any and everything until the one day I left work early the headache was unbearable. Nothing was working. Tylenol, nothing that I could take over the counter that's safe during pregnancy was working. And so I asked to leave early. I got home to my husband and I told him, I said, I don't feel well, but I think I just need like a stronger Tylenol. Like I think I just need like a, I don't know, a Tylenol 800 or something. Like I didn't feel urgency. Like I didn't feel like there was something that wrong. hmm So I ended up taking myself to a walk-in clinic and I walk in the clinic and actually this is how like laid back I was about it. I didn't even bring my husband with me, literally told him, oh, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the walk-in. I'm going to get something stronger for this headache. I'm going to feel better and this will all be over with. So I left him at home and I went to that walk-in clinic and that kind of started our journey with Adeline. When I got to the walk-in clinic, immediately, they took my blood pressure, which is what they do. They take your vitals first. But I did not make it past the blood pressure chair. I sat down to get my blood pressure done. And the nurse looked at me. And I just remember like the look on her face. And she looked at me and said, you need to go to the ER. And I was completely confused. Mm-hmm. had no clue why on earth I would need to go to the ER for a headache. Mm-hmm. She did not explain to me anything about my blood pressure. I didn't know anything about blood pressure. I no medical background, no any kind of background. She's telling me numbers and I'm just like, okay, and? like, yeah. What does this have to do? I don't understand. She said, we're transferring you over to the ER. You need to go now. She said, when you get there, because the ER it happened to be right across the street. So oh, she's like, okay. yeah right on the same street. She's like, when you go, you go up to labor and delivery and you tell them that we sent you here. We're sending all your paperwork over. And at this point, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit because I'm like, yeah, can you explain to me what's going on? Everyone around me was moving so quickly that no one took the time to stop and explain to me what was happening hmm So I ended up going over to the ER. I literally walked in the ER downstairs and said, hey, you know, I just was at the walk-in clinic. They told me I need to go up to labor and delivery. Someone came down and got me with a wheelchair. And when I got up to the labor and delivery floor, I was hooked up to all kinds of gadgets and monitors that continued to just keep going off. I mean, every alarm bell you could possibly hear just kept going off in my room.
0: At this point, did anybody explain to you what was going on?
1: Nope, not yet. (laughs) Okay, all
0: right. Just just checking. So at
1: this point, I'm... I'm, Yeah, and you know what's even crazier? My phone had died. Oh. So at this point, my husband doesn't even know what's going on. (laughs) And I'm up at the hospital, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to keep calm, and I looked at the nurse, and I said, my husband doesn't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. And she says, once we get you admitted we'll go ahead and give him a call. And I said, admitted? You know, for what? I have a headache. And she said, you're in danger. You and your baby are in danger. Your blood pressures are extremely high and we need to get them under control. Wow. And uh, my heart sank into my stomach. Yeah. But I don't really fully feel like I grasped that statement. Sure. I kind of just from there was very still, very quiet. I didn't know how to feel and I really didn't know what to think. And I can't even honestly tell you that I was scared at this point because I don't think I was feeling anything just yet.
2: Mm.
1: So I ended up having a series of tests and the physician came in and told me that I had preeclampsia. Okay. And I was... Diagnosed with that, I had the protein in my urine, I had the extremely high blood pressures. And due to, I live in a very small town, there's only one hospital here. Uh And the closest hospital with a fetal medicine specialist and the grade NICU my daughter would need if delivered was approximately an hour and a half to two hours away. Uh And my husband and I had plans to deliver at a different hospital, which was an hour away from our home. Mm -hmm. So I was actually not in this particular hospital system. And because of it, I was discharged from that hospital later that night once they stabilized my blood pressures using medication. Okay.
0: This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Uliana Urtube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six, I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP? was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains.
3: I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility and joy.
1: So I get home to my husband and I tell him what's been going on. He did know that I was at the hospital. But unfortunately, because of his work schedule and he had our other daughter at home, he kind of stayed put at home Mm
2: -hmm. until
1: we figured out what was going on. So when I was discharged, I came home and the next day I followed up with my OB, which was an hour away. And that OB decided that I should not have been discharged, that he actually wanted to readmit me to the hospital with him. Okay. And so then I was readmitted to the hospital again. I spent the weekend at the hospital learning about preeclampsia, learning what could happen, what couldn't happen. I got a series of medications and steroids to kind of help stabilize the blood pressures. I got a steroid shot to help. If we were to deliver Adeline early, it would help her lungs. Mm -hmm. After the weekend, I was stable enough to go home, but on bed rest. So I got home, and I'm on bed rest, and I had a follow-up with the fetal medicine doctor a week out, and so I go to that follow-up appointment, and I was feeling pretty confident because I hadn't had the headaches. I wasn't feeling all the way myself. The swelling did not go down, but my head wasn't pounding, so (laughs) I was feeling pretty positive about it. And I get to the fetal medicine specialist. He did an ultrasound. And then that doctor decides to admit me to the hospital. But this time he looked at me and he said, you're not going to leave the hospital without a baby. I'm about 25 weeks at this point. Okay, Well. Yeah. So
0: So that's a lot. I mean, you've already been through quite a bit and now (laughs) this is a big thing to kind of get your head around.
1: Yes. So I have to call my husband and I have to give him the news that we're basically moving into a hospital an hour and a half, almost two hours away from home. And you know that our daughter can't come with us. Hmm. He had to rework his work schedule so that way he could be at the hospital with me. And then we sent my daughter to stay with my mom. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we played the waiting game. It was two weeks on ICU. Not just bed rest, but ICU. Yes. Hospital hospital. ridden. Yes. I was not allowed to leave my bed at one point. When I first got there, they were allowing me one wheelchair ride a day. And so my husband would Wheel me downstairs to the cafeteria. Him and I love food. It's our bonding. (laughs) (laughs) And so we'd go down to the cafeteria and we'd eat, or sometimes he'd take me to the little courtyard. There was like a little patio thing outside. But there became a time where, as soon as I was out of bed and I was not laying down, my blood pressures were too dangerously high. Mm. So uh, it was an isolating experience to begin with because you're in this. Room, and then you get told you can't leave the room, right, right? And then you get told you can't leave the bed, right? And then, I mean, this isn't yeah. for you know 24 or 48 hours, this is about two weeks of looking at the same people. I mean, at this point, I had knew the nurse staff rotation, like,
0: right, you're there,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm there, but I did not see my daughter during this time, and I that was hard two for weeks. me, yes.
0: That is incredibly difficult.
1: It was difficult. And I worried that, you know, she wouldn't understand. But we just kept telling her, I talked to her over the phone. And I just kept telling her, you know, mommy's having a baby. I don't know when, but you're, you know, baby's coming. And at this point, we still don't know if it's a boy or girl. So at 27 weeks, and it was 27 weeks to the day, my week days were on Mondays. And so that's the day that the specialist came in and he did another ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when he did that ultrasound, he let me know that my baby was no longer receiving blood flow through the umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. That is when she was diagnosed with the intrauterine growth restriction. Mm -hmm. And that is from a placenta abnormality.
2: Okay.
1: And he said to me, it's time, we're going to have a baby today. And just like that, just like that. And he told me that he would schedule my C-section for that night. It was about maybe nine or 10 o'clock in the morning when I seen him. He had originally told us between 6 and 8 p.m. So I calmly called my husband because of course, the one day that he leaves to go cut grass. Oh. <laughs> we had been up there all this time and he right. hadn't been maintaining the house. And so he said, well, I'm going to go head home. I'm going to cut the grass and then I'll be right back. And he barely, he he did not get far at all. I ended up calling him and I said, hey, we're going to have a baby today. And he said, today? I said, yeah. He said, well, do I need to come back right now? Because like I said, he was heading home. Right. And I said, well, go ahead and cut the grass. So we don't get fined. <laughs> oh, so I, was like, like <laughs> I was like, go ahead and cut the grass. And then, you know, come back. They said six to 8 PM. And he said, okay, within 10 minutes, maybe two surgeons and a nurse came running into my room. My alarm started going off again.
2: Oh, no.
1: And all of a sudden I have all kinds of staff messing with my IV I remember them yelling different things, you know, turn on this side. I need to get you. Okay, mom, I need to get you on this side. Somebody else was explaining to me that they were starting me on a medication called magnesium. And it, I could barely hear her. But she was saying something along the lines of, you know, we're starting this, you know, this is what it's going to help you are probably going to feel a little groggy, you're not going to feel good. And then at the base of the bed, I had the surgeon telling me that he didn't think that we were going to make it to 6 p.m. and that this was something that needed to happen now. And then Mm -hmm. he made the call to have the other nurse call the OR. Okay. And as you can imagine, I bust out in tears. Of course you do. (laughs) And then I said, oh, my God, my husband is not here. I call him and I said, you need to get back here now. This is happening now. And they're taking me now. And... I have no clue how he made it back in such a short amount of time, Mm. but he did. (laughs) By the grace Mm. of God, he made Mm. it back. And as they are wheeling me out of my room, I see my husband running down the hallway. Wow. And they're throwing things at him to throw on. And we got whisked away to the OR. They prepped me. They were telling me some things about the NICU. They were explaining to me some things that I might see. Some things that I might hear, so I'm imagining you in a situation yeah. where I don't
0: know, you might be sort of like internally slightly freaking out, if not a lot, yeah, there's a lot happening, yeah, quickly, yeah, and also you're getting a ton of information all at once, all at once, yes, and in in my mind, as you're talking about it, I'm like there's no way she's going to remember like this stuff or
1: not a single thing.
0: Right, (laughs) right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Because how could you?
1: No, during this time when everyone was talking to me, it almost reminds me of like the stuff you see on TV when they like kind of blur out the audience because you're focusing on one character. That's what it felt like. I was in a blur. After a while, to be honest, I stopped hearing. Sure. After a while, I stopped hearing anything. I just could see people. Mm -hmm. And I remember laying there because when you have a C section, you're kind of laying with your arms out to your side. Mm -hmm. My husband was at one side and the nurse was at the other side. I had a room full of people. Now, I had a C section with my oldest daughter, Mm -hmm. not nearly as many people from the NICU people to the surgeons to people for me. If if something happened to me, Mm -hmm. one thing I do remember someone telling me was that if something happened, they were going to try to stabilize me first. Okay. And in the moment, I didn't think about it. When I came out on the other side of all of this, Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, wow, you know, my life would have been prioritized over my daughter's life. And I don't know how I felt about that. Right. It was just something that I realized, you know, looking back when I was kind of debriefing through everything, Mm -hmm. but I'm on this OR table And like I said, we did not know what we were having. And the first thing that I heard is it's a girl. My husband and I wanted a boy. I thought it was a boy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I heard it's a girl and I heard them, but I didn't respond. Mm -hmm. I remember the nurse leaning into me and she said, did you hear that? Did you hear that, mama? You have a little girl. And I still didn't respond. Mm hmm. And then Adrian asked me, Adrian is my husband, he asked me, he said, honey, did you hear that? We have another little girl. And I just remember looking at him, just looking him in his eyes and not really doing or saying anything. It was like, I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if I was happy or sad or what. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I mean, at this point, there's so much going on. How yes. can you process one more thing and such a big thing, too? Yes. Like, I just overstimulated all around.
1: Yes. I was in that stoic state mm-hmm. for a while. So much so that I do remember them telling me that she was breathing on her own. They delivered Adeline at one pound, 6.9 ounces. Hmm. And they did tell me that she was breathing on her own. And that they were going to incubate her anyway to preserve her energy so she could use her energy to grow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The pivotal moment for me was when the nurse said, do you want to see your daughter? And I said, no. Mm-hmm. And all I could think about is I'm going to have to bury this baby oh. and I don't want to see it.
0: Oh. Yeah. That's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I. Had it in my head that that is what I was going to do, mm. that I was going to be sharing a story about loss. Mm. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to have to face this. Right. So they took her to the NICU. Adrian went with her to the NICU, and I went back to my room alone. Well, not to my room, to recovery, mm. technically and it would be two days before I made contact with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And during those two days that I was in recovery, I deleted all my social media. I got rid of everything, Facebook, Instagram, all of it, Twitter. (laughs) All Mm -hmm. of it had to go. And I just remember saying to myself, I don't want to have to explain this to anybody. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want questions. I forbid my mom was pretty active in all of this. Obviously, you know, she had my daughter, right. my older daughter, and I remember forbidding her. I said, don't you tell anybody that I'm even here. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. So you just kind of went into like lockdown mode. Right?
1: Absolutely. Even yeah. even during the... Yeah, even during the hospital stay, I didn't, there were very few people that even knew that I was admitted to the hospital. Mm. So then when I had her, I specifically remember telling my mom and Adrian, I said, don't you tell a soul. Mm. Do not tell anybody. And so here we are day two. Adrian would bring me updates about Adeline. He would try to show me pictures and I didn't want to see the pictures. And then one day he grabbed my hand. He went beside my bedside and he looked at me and he said, our daughter's in there fighting and I really need you to fight with her. Yeah. Oh, wow. Whoa. And I just cried. You told me I would cry and here, I, <laughs> and, and now I'm crying. I did. I still cry. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to cry with you. Yeah. I just looked at him and I said, I can't, I can't. And he said, you can, and I need you to. I need you to get out of this bed, and I need you to just look at her. Just come look at her. He said, she's doing good. You know, her oxygen and stuff is okay. She was little, but she wasn't in any kind of crucial condition. At the time, she was born with a grade bleed, grade three bleed on her brain. But we were also told in the same breath that it could resolve But if it did resolve, then she would end up with some type of abnormalities, some kind of disabilities developmentally. And then she also had a hole in her heart. But they also told us that that might be able to resolve and fix itself too. Mm -hmm. But other than those two things, she was very stable. And I don't even remember how or what the conversation beyond that was. But I do know I got in my wheelchair and I went to see my daughter. I went to the NICU. And I didn't leave. <laughs> From the time I laid eyes on her, she looked just like Adrienne. I was so amazed at how someone so tiny. I mean, you were talking about like translucent. Mm-hmm. She, you could see right through her. You could see her organs. You could see her veins. And yet she looked just like my husband. <laughs> and I remember saying like, this is nothing short of a miracle. I can't even believe that this tiny human even has features. like." Mm -hmm. amazing to me. But from that day on, I decided that I was going to fight with my daughter and I did not leave her room. I spent the next about two or three weeks after that in her room with her. My husband rearranged his whole work schedule so that way he would work from the area that the new hospital that we were in was in. So he drives trucks, so he was taken on a route that was up that way. And I just spent every day that I could with her. And the very first time I had to leave Adeline alone was for my oldest daughter's birthday. Wow. Her birthday had come and it had been maybe close to a month. Since Since you'd seen her? Since we had spent time with her. I had seen her. She had come to visit me once and it was a little bit too much for me having her there. Yeah. It felt good seeing her, but I was really overwhelmed and I was still really sick.
0: Right.
2: So
1: my husband and I decided, you know, it's going to be her birthday. She's turning four. You know, we really need to spend this time with her. And the NICU had encouraged me to leave. They had encouraged me to get out, get some fresh air, see family. And at the time, I just could not even fathom, like, what are you saying to me? What do you mean leave? <laughs> like, right. yep. And my husband was at work. and. I was telling him I was going to meet him so we could go back to the shore to see our older daughter and celebrate her birthday. And I made it to the parking garage and I literally fell to my knees. I fell to my knees and I called my mom hysterical and I said, I can't leave her. I can't. I just can't leave her here by herself. You know, I feel like as soon as I leave, something's going to happen. I was not sure that it was the right thing to do. I kind of felt like I was turning my back on her again. I also had a lot of guilt with what I felt, you know, when I first had her. Right. So a lot of that played its part. And my mom talked me through it. I ended up getting in the car, getting myself together and leaving. But it was by far the hardest thing that I've had to do. Right. Is feel like you're choosing between your children. You you have one that needs you and need your support, but then you have someone else that also needs you and needs you mm-hmm. and needs your support. It was really difficult. Yeah.
0: Wow. That is a lot. This is a good month and a half of dealing with from the yes. first time you went to the doctor until at this point.
1: Yes. It's a long so long time
0: to I'm, be in high stress.
1: Yes. So Adeline, I was admitted that the whole series of hospital stays started at 24 weeks. But Adeline spent 70 days in the NICU Mm. for her stay alone. I was discharged from the hospital about a week and a half, almost two weeks after I had her. And that started the hotel stays and constantly just staying in her room or staying at a hotel or staying close by. After we spent the weekend with Alana, my oldest, we went back to the NICU. And again, I was there day in and day out until she came home. And the NICU is scary, but it's not as scary as coming home. Mm. Coming home was scary. It was the most isolating time of my life. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I didn't Mm. know how to be her mom outside of the NICU. I didn't know how to do anything for her the way the nurses did. I felt like they did everything so effortlessly. And I had, I had experience with her. I mean, I held her. I did the skin to skin. They taught me how to feed her, but all with someone helping me. Right. And for quite some time. Yes. A long long time. A very long time. I mean, we're talking from April to the end of July, almost August
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that I had someone helping me someone there right and now all of a sudden i'm at home and it feels like you know everyone else's life just went back to normal my husband resumed his working schedule alana was home with me adeline's home with me and don't get me wrong my heart was so full to be in a room with all four of us
0: sure
1: in our own home Mm -hmm. but in the same breath I did not feel qualified to take care of my daughter. She came home on oxygen and an apnea monitor. And I mean, I knew what to do to a certain extent, but I felt right. so out of my league.
0: Yeah, it's a scary transition.
1: Yes. And then I didn't have much support. I mean, when visitors would come over, they'd kind of ooh and eye at her from a distance But They didn't want to really hold her. They didn't really know what to do or what to say. She came home at three pounds Mm. So she was still really tiny And we didn't go anywhere because of her conditions right right with the oxygen and everything It's it's not like we could go, you know, meet our friends for dinner or something Mm. We were home and I think because I had isolated myself so much during that time that when I got home I really didn't have any friends to turn to I didn't have anybody to call because I hadn't talked to anybody for months. So, when Adrian went to work, it was just me, it was just me and the kids. And I slipped into a very, very ugly bout of postpartum depression.
0: Mm. Right. I mean, I'm just sort of imagining like there's so much going on when you're at the hospital and the back and forth and the hotels and you're go, go, go. You're kind of always. I don't know, geared up and coming home, it must be such a strange transition. It's quiet. You know, there's not a lot of commotion other than like, you know, the children, yes, which is plenty, but what a strange transition to make and then to feel kind of the space of that.
1: Yes. And I feel like it's a big point to make that. So prior to me having Adeline, I had Adeline in April, 2015. So the year before that, I had quite a year of loss. Mm. I had lost my grandfather
2: Mm.
1: in February. I lost my grandmother in April. I lost a cousin in June. I lost another cousin in September. I had a big falling out with two friends right before my wedding. And then I got married in December. And then we had Adeline the following April. So you're talking about grief Grief that I never even got to process before I was put into another situation with grief. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, I was on the go the year before. 2014, when I had all the loss, it was just like, go, 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 and then funeral, and then go, and then funeral, and then go, and then wedding, and then next thing you know, I'm having a baby. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to process anything until I came home Mm -hmm. with Adeline when I was finally idle. I was home. I was quiet. And I was grieving my birth experience. I was right. grieving the life that I thought we were supposed to have with a healthy baby. I was grieving my grandparents still. They were very influential to me growing up. And it was just as bad as losing parents. Right. So I'm going through all of these changes. And I'm going through it alone. Mm-hmm. And uh Adeline ended up having surgery in September, so a little after we brought her home. And then in November, I got sick. And oh, I told my husband and my mom, I said, I really have the flu. I feel awful. I, you know, don't feel like myself. And I think I need to, you know, go get a checkup. And I ended up finding out that I was pregnant with Aaliyah, our third daughter.
0: Huh what was the time span again?
1: So I found out that I was pregnant with her in November. We had came home from the NICU in August and Adeline had just had surgery in September. Okay. Right. Yes. So Adeline had another hospital stay for the surgeries. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being hysterical. (laughs) I wasn't happy at all. Right. You were
0: still feeling depressed at that point, depressed and anxious.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm still very depressed, very anxious, and now I'm pregnant. And I can't even wrap my head around another pregnancy. Right. I immediately start worrying, you know. Uh-huh. I, we barely made it out of this thing. Like how is this going to work? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was during that time that I decided to go ahead and start seeing somebody. I said to myself, you know, This can't be normal. (laughs) What I'm feeling is not normal. What I'm feeling is scary, and I need help. So, we sought out my husband and I, we sought out a therapist. I mean, I was so deep into the depression. I mean, there was a point in time I wasn't even taking a shower anymore. Like, I just didn't feel like it was worth it. Nothing was worth it. Taking a shower just to do the same routine, eating, Mm -hmm. I didn't really want to eat. Like, I could do absolutely nothing but function through the day just for my kids. And after that, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Same kind of routine every day.
0: I mean, at this point, you've been overly depleted in so many ways for, I don't know, a year. Yes. I mean, a long time where you, you haven't had any chance to restore, any chance to heal. And the stress level has been high pretty much the whole time. Right. Yeah.
1: So when I found out I was pregnant with our third daughter, we told family, but I did keep it from friends, social media. I did not want to share on that platform just yet. But after a few therapy sessions with an amazing therapist, she suggested that I start journaling. Hmm. And I've never been a big writer on paper. I write lists all the time. That's an anxiety thing. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a different conversation, but I never really wrote in a journal before, but the only thing that I could compare it to was Facebook.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: I reactivated my Facebook and I started using Facebook as an outlet to just share my day-to-day life, to start sharing about preeclampsia like, you know, why have I never heard of this thing?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Why am I just now finding out about this? If I had known that you know, the swelling with the headaches was a sign of something, then maybe I would have gotten help sooner. Mm. You know, why isn't this being talked about? And I just started feeling frustrated. Yeah, I just started feeling like, there's got to be more, there's got to be more somewhere, there's got to be some type of these kind of things. And I started sharing on Facebook. And when I started sharing on Facebook, I developed quite a following of other moms who were going through all kinds of things or other women who were just telling me like, you're so strong or your story is so inspirational. And Mm -hmm. at the time I really didn't pay attention to any of that because my sole purpose was a therapy practice. Really. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. was, I'm getting my thoughts out. I really wasn't doing it for any kind of attention or any kind of following. It just kind of happened. And as I kept doing it, a friend of mine reached out to me and said, you know, I think you'd be an awesome professional mom. I really think that you need to start making YouTube videos and mm-hmm. make this thing a career. And I laughed. I was like, there's no such thing. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's no such job as, you know, getting on Facebook and giving advice. That's it's not real. And laughingly, I told a, another friend, a different friend, what that friend had said. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, oh, no, Misha. I think what he's talking about is a doula and I think you'd be an amazing doula. So now I have this new word and I'm like, what? <laughs> what is this? What, what uh, are it? Yeah, yeah. So I start Googling and I found the pro doula website and it outlined exactly what a doula was. And from there I was all in. I said, this is the support that I needed. Mm -hmm. This is what I needed when I came home, Mm -hmm. not just coming home from the NICU because I definitely needed it then. But I remember even coming home with Alana and needing help. Right. And when I read the description and I started doing research on it, I said, this is it. I need this in my area because if I could go through it, I know there's got to be tons of other women here in this community Mm -hmm. that's going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I started Googling like doulas in my area. Couldn't find any. The closest ones were, of course, back in Annapolis, which is where I delivered Adeline at, which again is almost two hours away. I just was like, there has to be something here for moms. And so I started my own business. I started Mothering Mother Postpartum Doula Services. And I chose postpartum work because with my schedule with the kids, I felt like it was more flexible. But Mm -hmm. I also felt like that was a lot of my journey, needing help once I got home, the isolation, the postpartum depression, all of it. And so I had that business for about a year. And as I continued to work with moms and families, when I really got into the profession, I realized that, wait a minute, you know, what I'm doing is awesome. But these families need more. They need lactation support. Mm-hmm. You know, they need a therapist to talk to sometimes. Mm-hmm. They need I just realized that there was nothing in my area that took care of families from the time that they conceive, or even when they're trying to conceive, the support for even infertility, up until the time where you have your baby and then thereafter. Mm-hmm. There was no wraparound services here to support women and families as they transitioned into their homes with a new baby. Yeah. And I decided to be that support.
0: Yay. Oh, my gosh. That's so <laughs> yes. cool. I just, I don't know. I love the stories that turn out this way. You know, there's so many different avenues that your journey can take you on. But, I mean, I'm a sucker for these. Yes. Um, where <laughs> your really rough experience turns into this passion and uh, you become yeah. a resource for other people. It's just amazing. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a
4: fluster clucks.
5: You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.
1: I've literally just used my voice. I tell my clients, especially my clients that have unique stories, I always say our stories are not for ourselves. Our stories are for other people. One of the ways that I've healed tremendously from this whole entire experience is through my clients. The clients, the families that I serve, Mm -hmm. almost every one of them has a piece of my story that they can use. Mm -hmm. And every time I see a family flourishing, because of something that I've told them, even if it's just, hey, I went through that too. Even if it's just that little bit. Yeah. Every time I see them succeed and I'm a part of it, a part of me heals. A part um, of me feels like it wasn't done in vain. Yeah. A part of me feels like, you know, this thing that I went through was never for me. It was for someone else. It was to lift someone else up. It was to let someone else know that there's a way out that they don't have to do it alone, that they're not the only mom that scrolls their phone at 3am because (laughs) they're the only ones awake Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. It all played beautifully together. And so I decided we went from mothering mother postpartum doula services to Shore Grace Family Wellness. Um, We provide in-home services for families. So we have doulas, we have counselors, our counselors specialize in Anything from maternal mental health to grief and trauma as it relates to pregnancy loss and birth trauma. We have post abortion healing. We have a counselor that specializes in that. Our goal is really to touch families wherever they are in their walk because I never want a family or a mom to feel like I felt. I never want a mom to look at me and say, Misha, I can't do this, or I don't know how to take care of my baby the way I felt when I brought Adeline home and I felt like I couldn't do it, that I wasn't good enough to take care of her. Mm-hmm. So I just do everything that I can to bring awareness to that and to really walk families through so they can have more positive birth, postpartum and labor experiences.
0: Uh, amazing. I mean, this is all in a relatively short period of time. Yes.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. So we just launched the website for Sure Grace on September 1st. We're in the process of finding a physical location, but we are open and taking clients. And like I said, everything is done in home. That in
0: and of itself is just phenomenal.
1: (laughs) You literally meet people
0: where they are. This is not a figure of speech.
1: No, nope. Literally, we'll meet you right where you are. If you don't feel comfortable meeting in your home, we have partnered with a local pregnancy center, and I do take clients there. I meet with them there if they're feeling uncomfortable for whatever reason, but literally all of our services can be done from the comfort of your home with our doulas. We'll meet you wherever you want to birth. If you want to birth at home, that's great, but you know what? Most of our clients birth in hospitals, Mm -hmm. so we'll come to the hospital. We literally want to hold your hand through this whole process. So from the time you're even thinking of conceiving up until the time I have clients that they're my very first professional client, I should say, her son is getting ready to turn one soon. So and she still texts me almost every week. This is a lifelong thing. You know, these are relationships that you build. And you don't just you know, say, oh, okay, well, we'll see you later. I mean, they really become family, which is part of our name.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's so amazing. I was thinking of this too, is that because, you know, you're in a relative, not isolated area, but you're far away from major hospitals. So everyone, you know, I'm sure there are some services close to you locally, but for the most part, if you need anything major, you have to drive far. So what you're offering is also relief from that, that people don't have to drive an hour and a half to get the support they need.
1: Absolutely. So funny thing, me and my husband actually after college always talked about moving away and it was very heavily in my mind that we were going to move. But when everything started happening and I started thinking about building this resource, I strongly felt led to staying here. It was needed here. Mm -hmm. My work was here. And so we decided to make our center here and help the families here because, you know, what good would it be if I moved away and did this somewhere else where there's other resources? No, the the need is here. This is the eastern shore of Maryland.
0: um, Yes. And you kind of cover that whole area.
1: Yep. Um, The lower eastern shore of Maryland. Yes. And we cover this whole area. I travel. I do have a few friends that are across the bridge, which is that hour and a half, two hour area. Oh, right. Um, And so I will travel there if it's a specific need. But I also have a doula agency that's in that area that I partner with and I refer clients to. So I try to make sure that literally, like no matter where you are in your journey or where you are physically, I have a resource for you.
0: That's amazing. It is phenomenal. Yeah. Congratulations! congratulations. So, I mean, the amount of stuff that you've been through and then to come out of it. I mean, you had to do, I'm sure, an incredible amount of work for yeah. yourself to heal. And you did. You healed your or are healing. I mean, there's yes. some little part of us that needs attending to oh, all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, still healing.
0: Mm-hmm, right. Right. Yeah. And now yeah. paying it
1: forward. Yes, I try to take very good care of my mental health. I am really trying to break a lot of stigma and even generational habits, especially with Black women and not going to therapy. I feel like in my culture, it's shunned upon a lot. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of, I know one thing that I used to hear growing up all the time is what goes on in this house stays in this house. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about the hard things. We just endure. Mm -hmm. And I have really broken that silence and said, no, you know, you don't have to just endure this. Mm -hmm. It is okay to seek professional help. It is okay to use other means for healing. So I'm very big on that. I myself see a therapist that I try to go and see her once a week still. For anyone listening who is interested, one of the things I am about to start for my own healing is EMDR. Woohoo! Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>
2: yes. I'm in EMDR
1: right now myself.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> I am. Especially and hard, with,
1: but amazing. Yes. Especially with wanting to be a therapist myself. I'm in yes. school for therapy. Oh. So yeah, the therapist that I found, I love her. She's part of my support team, really. Yeah. You can't do this without support and everyone plays a part yeah. and my therapist is part of my support team. And I encourage anyone who's having a difficult time with anything to let that be an option for you. Yeah. And so, yes, I am currently starting EMDR to kind of heal a couple of my different traumas. The NICU being one of them getting through grief is another. Yeah. So yeah, I take very Careful care of my mental health, it's crucial for me to stay on top of it, especially with the position I'm in. I work with moms and I work with families. And as a doula, a lot of times some families can be triggers to me Mm -hmm. because of my own trauma. Mm -hmm. And so I have to make sure that I'm taking care of that and taking care of me so that way I can help other people.
0: Absolutely. I thank you so much for speaking to that directly. How sort of being in a caregiver position requires a lot of self care as well. Oh, yeah, um,
1: absolutely. It's a lot of balance. I get asked a lot, you know, me and my husband teach together. So we teach a postpartum recovery and infant care class. Oh, my God. And yes, he <laughs> comes like, with me and he teaches with me. He talks to the dads. Him and I share experiences about. Not just the educational piece, because in postpartum recovery, we talk about the emotional recovery, we talk Mm -hmm. about vaginal recovery, we talk about recovery from C section, but we also speak as a couple about the challenges that bringing in a new baby may have. I think a lot of times it's just, you know, oh, we're having a baby and this is so happy and Mm -hmm. we're supposed to be so excited. And then, you know, then they don't tell you the other side of that, that, you know, when you welcome a baby into your life, the two of you are changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I am not the woman that I was before my children. My husband is not the man that he was before our children, and so you have two people trying to learn each other yeah. as they're trying to learn another human right and that's extremely difficult and I don't think that enough light is shed on that. A lot of couples go into it and they are just blindsided. I know we were mm-hmm. and so we try to be a voice for that as well. We we're really open about our marriage struggles as it relates to that and
0: I want to clone you guys and just like what you're doing there, just put it everywhere.
1: Put it everywhere. I hope so. I hope someone's listening to this and decides that their town, their state, their whatever needs this kind of resource and decides to be a voice for it. Yep. I hope
0: so too. I hope so too. (laughs) What you're doing is an amazing example of that. I love everything you're doing. I'm so sorry for, you know, such a challenging and, I mean, you can't even really put it into words. No. (laughs) What you went through and that you sought your own healing and you took those steps and now you're out there helping other people. It's a beautiful transformation and I'm so grateful that you shared your story with us today.
1: I was so happy to do it. Like I said, our stories are not our own and if I can just touch one person, if one person listens to this and feels some kind of healing or has some type of breakthrough, then I've done. More than I could have ever asked for.
0: Oh, That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you again, Misha, for coming on. It's so important that we're hearing people's stories. And very awesome that Misha reached out to share hers. So thank you again. If you'd like to get connected with her, you can find her at shoregracefamily.org on Instagram and Facebook at shoregracefam or Instagram at Misha Shockley. As usual, stay connected with us. Come join us at the Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group or become a subscriber to the Mom and Mind podcast to get each and every one of these episodes downloaded straight to your phone or computer. As usual, thank you so much for being with us today. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.